previously on Star Trek The Next Generation. All right, where were we? Okay, we were, we were going to go uh, mosey down the trail. Uh, which trail should we head down? Um, what was the what did the fork the look like? It was um, <laughs> two path divergent a wood. Yeah. Well, we I think we could do one of two things. Um, we could either just try to um, neatly frame socialism. I don't know that we've done that yet. Yeah, we should probably do I that. I feel like um, we, we got into liberalism pretty well. Yeah, yeah, I think if you've listened to all of our ramblings and tangents, you should have a good idea yeah. of what liberalism is and why we think that. It's not great, right? Um, or at least the introduction to why it's not great, but right. So let's shift over. And then you want to maybe introduce socialism as as ideological as, critique, as ideology, yeah, um, as a series, of, yeah, as a series of beliefs. And all right, yeah, uh, and then we like, can contrast them because like, it's important. I think it'd be interesting if and if we have time or want to do it. Um, you know, it's kind of like for because I know people will be listening to this who are kind of like consider themselves like you know lefty slash progressive, but you know not exactly like full on, full on socialist. It's like what you know what, um, you know what would you what this would you? This pod is brought to you by Starburst. Starburst gummy. Can I have one of those? Of course. <laughs> um, like what would you actually ask? They're horrible. How much noise that makes? Whatever. It's either that or we win in Rome. Eating Pringles on the mic. <laughs> And now, part two of our episode on political ideology from giving the mic to the wrong person. Hi, I'm Jeremy. I'm a dork living in Portland, Oregon, who spent too many years listening to podcasts and not doing anything creative. This is my attempt to rectify that, to create and contribute something where I talk to people about their cultural obsessions and try to give some recommendations of my own. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. Well, as you see, I mean, if you ever want to start your own show, like, all you really need is some basic gear and a recorder. <laughs> and, like, someone, and ideally, someone in the room with you at the same time, because uh, a one-person podcast is extremely precarious. Yeah. Even for someone like Bill Burr, who's really amusing. Yeah, I mean, like, half the time he talks to his girlfriend, and who's in yeah. the other room anyway, and off mic. <laughs> I haven't listened to Bill Burr's podcast in a really long time. Not, but... Yeah, not in years. So, but it was amazing how how much you could get done with just him. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I think you know being a stand up for uh, working stand up for twenty years probably helped. Yeah, but plenty of stand ups though that can't do a sh- that can't carry a show by themselves as inter- as to as entertaining a degree as as Bill Burr could. But, That's true. But putting that aside, um, all right. I guess to resume our conversation, uh, one of the, I think the thing that we, we were getting to was still kind of like teasing out the distinctions between. Uh, we we'll call it like leftism or socialism or or whatever you want to call it like the, versus just liberalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to think where do we want to where do we want to because like we we'd done everything from uh, bringing up uh, John Rawls again for the third or fourth recording session in a row <laughs> to um, trying to think of what else it was. I think at one point it was just trying to like just talking about problems and like almost like you know useful examples depicting the distinction. Uh, as far as uh, like. Or like politicians and practice distinctions, or something. I, I, I remember us kind of like I, I like the joke that Obama is an elected Rawlsian, um, right? Um, I remember us talking that. We, yeah, um, we mentioned that, but uh, but also it was like, you know, how would a you know someone more into? Yeah, you were. We were all talking about. Well, how do we take people that you know are comfortable with the term liberal, mm-hmm. calling themselves that, thinking of themselves that, even thinking they 
they have an understanding of what that term means and at least being partially right about that understanding and then pull them a little bit over is that too is that too much praxis for the moment well not no i think that well that's that's that is a related issue because i think my thing is because i think part of it part of the issue part of one of the reasons why i think and i think they're probably going to be why they're you know dsa is going to do like an entire like like a series on this is because for because for for you know for most of the 20th century um american political well one could say that for you know always american political discourse has been pretty like narrowed and denuded but for uh forever like liberal meant progressive and it's so and especially in the since the 80s when it was a deli- uh if not you know since like the late 70s early 80s when um they deliberate when you had like the 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 rise of the lee atwater frank luntz types who deliberately like put out you know say hey, we you know we're going to use this turn it into a slur that anything that became um any political distinction just became like right it 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 just bifurcated. You either were like conservative or liberal, and it was always and so it, you know the crucial distinctions got got messed up. And now that um, the distinctions got kind of like re- rendered asunder, yeah. of like trying to like if nothing else, education. Like okay, folks, when they you know it's like when people say like liberal, they don't you know, especially if uh, if they're lefty folks, they don't necessarily mean progressive. Well, and I think that. I actually think that 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 I don't know the history of the popular usage of the word liberal in the United States, but it really seems to me that it was used like like it, like like Rush Limbaugh was a big uh, uh, um, 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 foghorn about right. uh, about just defining liberalism mm-hmm. in, in you know in, you know in you know putting liberalism on the defensive. But I think that, of course, his conception of what liberalism was was was, of course, not academic. And I do I do think that some of the contemporary usage of the word liberal by people who consider themselves liberal has to do with that. Like, I think they're working off his definition a little bit like the right has defined the left. The the weak ass left we have in the in the United States, <laughs> right? Like, or the so called left in the United States. I mean, yeah. to 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 the right, you know, Democrats are the left, which, right? To those which of, the, those on the left are like, oh, so, that's so. Cute. So the equivocation of liberal with left politics in 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 the United States and sort of popular usage, I think, has largely been dictated by the right wing in the United States for the past 30 years at least. I would right. say all the discourse in American politics has been dictated by the right wing <laughs> for 40 years. Right. You um, know, I, the the but, actual left, the so-called left, everyone always seems to be on the defense. Right. And so what I'm trying to say is that like the the, like the, the, the liberal discourse has been a lot of, well, this is what the right says, says we are. So we're either going to do one of two things. We're going to say, yes, that's what we are <laughs> and feel like brave mm. or we're going to go well, that's not what we are. We love the troops too, or you know, like they're, they, yeah, they're yeah. trying to posture their, themselves in such a way as to as to be, you know, as to take what the right claims for their own. I'm not soft on crime. I'm a exactly. I'm a good citizen. I'm I'm pro policing, pro right, police, yeah. and pro prisons. Um, I was listening. I can't remember who I was listening. I think it was it was a recent episode of Zero Books where they're talking to like a rep from the Platypus Society, and who mentioned that the thing about the history is that you had to have a lot of the like a lot of like Great Society era mm. uh, strong and defense types who did this just as a way so that they couldn't get attacked when they were trying to push through like social programs, right? 
And I believe that, but I, I think that's become the defensive posture. You right. know what I mean? Like, and I think that's the problem. You know, it's time for the left to be on the offensive, and I think a lot of a lot of people are afraid. I don't know if we're really. I feel like I took us off on a little bit of a tangent again. It's all good. Um, so going back before I made before I you know took us on that trip of uh, how liberalism is sort of. I'm trying to think of like how it functionally works in in, in contemporary discourse because I thought that's where you kind of started off, Jeremy. Well, going off that, I mean, it functionally works if you um, is that well, that's uh, well. Keep in mind that most people are not ideal ideological, right? And it's like this not like, self, yeah, not self aware of their ideological, right? Yeah. Or they're not self defined. It's like yeah, it's I think false Matt, consciousness is a hell of a drug, right? Well, not just that, but it's also like you know, as Matt Crispin said, like yeah, less than ten percent of us are infected with this with this sickness. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I think, I, and as I'm trying to play back in my mind what what we had hit on previously, um, I mean, I can I can cue up the playback if you the, want to hear uh, it, but you know, the functional we we talked about how there's that American political culture is a liberal political culture. And in nine out of 10 rooms, you're standing in talking about politics and such. You're talking to a liberal audience that the majority of the people in the room, if not everyone in the room is a liberal and they have some distinction in their mind of the right side of the liberal, you know, liberal scale or the left side. And so what do which you, is, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go on. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, what do you think makes them liberal? So that, I think that's a question they would want. Yeah. To and I think that's to. to your original point, I think was like, well, how do we take people that are on the left side of that scale who are becoming curious in what's left of them and explain to them how to a leftist, you are the same as the conservative. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the important thing to, I think this gets to the, the distinction that there may be two sort of polarized in some ways sides of liberalism it's only a difference in means and not a difference of ends, I think, is the key thing to focus on. That, you know, like we talked about, you can read Rawls and get this social democracy of it, right? That this is very Western European liberalism, which we refer to as socialism in the United States. And so I'm not, you know, how do I, how do I decipher and distinguish the difference? And, and I think that the, the useful framework is means and ends, that... A liberal like Rawls or a contemporary Democrat um, who's sort of towards left of center Democrat is just sees the game, sees the sees the world in the same way that the individual is the focus, that um, there's a particular type of human nature that they're ascribing to people. Um, is ascribing the right word there? Ascribing to people? Yes. Ascribing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, and what is that? Are you talking about the sort of homo economicus, the sort of self interest? Yeah, the rational yeah, self interest yeah, post enlightenment stuff. And the whole thing is that the, the liberal thinks that you know political liber political liberty, political liberation is key, and that we just need to make sure that we're all playing by the same set of rules so the game's fair. Right. And the conservative liberal has a very much more narrow vision of what that means that the fair only is a set of rules that applies to these things and the sort of left liberal the progressive will say well we need to extend that a little bit so like the, right, the underlying principles are all the same the right liberal like the sort of market libertarian would would say like all market outcomes are fair as long as the market is set up with these you know such and such principled preconditions yeah. is that what you mean yeah whereas the left liberal would say like no 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 like, like we have to be able to assure certain. Well, would it be outcomes? Uh, 
not more, outcomes. More like, more like, more like oppor- it's opportunity. So, so they want a everything, wider... everything he said, but affirmative action, like and affirmative action. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, okay. everything he said, but also, you know, slightly higher taxes on corporations. You know, everything that he said, but also, so it's these yeah. little additions and additions and adjustments that, um, you know, and economically speaking, this is where we get all the Keynesianism and heterodox schools and all these things that, that this sort of back and forth for half of the 20th century that. Capitalism is still fundamentally good. Capitalism is still, you know, where we should be doing what you know what we should be doing, where we should be going. But we're going to add a few more rules to the book, right? Um, and I think at the end of the day, that's 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 the kind of conversation that you're going to get into. That's going to start to provide those tangible differences. And I you think. can and you can see like how they're kind of pretty similar. They just have a thicker, thinner rule book. Is kind of what it seems like, right? Is that what you're trying to? Yeah, yeah. It you know it's. You know, the the progressive is going to say, I agree that the game should be fair. Um, however, we need to acknowledge that women of color have fewer opportunities to get into the game. So we're going to try to create policy such that women of color have, instead of only 1% of them having a seat at the table, you know, 10% have a seat at the table. Right, you right. Know? Um, and through these, these incremental um, additions and inclusions, then, you know, sort of snow you know snowballs and gets bigger and, and mm-hmm. hopefully then we get to equality in the end but right we're we're, we're in great society era here yeah LBJ stuff yeah um I, and i think that's the ultimate distinction because you get to then i mean it, i was reading you know and tweeting earlier at, uh, this um these things these types of things though are, you know are, are socialist to the average american that taxing corporations is socialist right affirmative action is socialist medicare and medicare socialist um, public education is socialist, and, and ultimately, all those things again are products of twentieth century twentieth century heterodoxy. They aren't socialists; they're adjustments and tweaks to. Uh, I think we said this last time. What these things really do is they make capitalism more efficient in an ironic way. That um, yeah, they strengthen and reinforce the same system, and bring a few more players maybe to the game, but. What distinguishes socialism from liberalism, socialism from capitalism at the end of the day is, is that socialism is a complete displacement of capitalism, not a set of additions and adjustments. But can you can you define and or give an example of when you when you just 20th century heterodoxy, can you define heterodoxy for the viewing audience? Uh, I'll, I'll do my best as a non-economist who's just taken political economy from a political sense, but um, I mean, if you Google heterodox economics, you're going to get these sort of vague, generic descriptions that are these 20th century schools of thought that um, were essentially just additions and and adjustments to neoclassical economics. For Um, example. uh, So Keynes, I would say, is a heterodox. Some people will say, no, technically post-Keynesians are heterodox. So like, what's his name? Krugman at the New York Times. Okay, there we go. The heterodox. Samuelson, would he be one of those? Yeah, you know, I I think anybody, you know, sometimes people will say there are Marxist scholars that fall into this heterodox camp, which doesn't make sense to me, but it's basically all these, it's anything in the 20th century, it's like capitalism is good, but that is what I would say generically is heterodox, that the underlying assumptions are fine. There's going to be a small minority of people who have much more wealth and own capital and own the means of production. But what we're going to do is tax them differently, distribute wealth post-production differently. We're going to provide more social programs. We're going to all these sort of different adjustments are. It's still capitalism, but it's it's not this we're going to libertarian just- sort of neoclassical, um, very limited, you know. Um, 
we're Adam gonna, Smith, David Ricardo sense of right. Of we're going to institute the welfare state. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, well, and and going uh, and just going back to Krugman a little bit when the financial crisis happened, um, he was describing Iceland's policies as heterodox mm-hmm. economics and like sort of sort of um, lionizing Iceland because they did things that weren't austerity policies, which he thought of as orthodox economics. So mm. if that helps the, the, think, the viewing audience like, at all. Was that before or after the shit hit the fan in Iceland? That was after. Oh, okay. That was after. So, so, so you, know, you know, the pigs economies, Portugal, Ireland, Iceland, Greece, and Spain, uh, those were the bad actors, so to speak, from a neoliberal perspective in that thing. Hmm. Iceland did... It's weird po- that Ireland is in there. Well, Ireland... We can stick a pin in Ireland, but but in Iceland, they did things differently. They didn't do austerity policies, mm-hmm, right. or they didn't do as nearly as harsh of austerity yeah, par- no. policies as the other ones did. Maybe because, is Iceland EU? I don't know. I but don't think they. I don't think that. I don't think they that's are. Probably why, because yeah, okay. they probably have their own currency. That's why the they're EU is so pissed at Greece because Greece. The people went to the streets in Greece, and they were like, "Fuck this!" Yeah. Um. So the Greek government had to respond in kind. Right. And, uh, they were like, "Well, fuck, we're the." We're the shithole of the EU, anyways. You guys don't help us and give us enough, anyways. So we're gonna do what our people want, kind of thing. Yeah, but I'm no IR scholar or anything, so don't take that to home. Well, I know that I. I will say to get back earlier. I know Iceland deliberately has their own currency because, um, God, what is it? What Eve Online is some massive, ma- well, not maybe not, not massive, some uh, like a shocking percentage of um, of. It, it, it contributes a uh, a shocking uh, percentage of of Iceland's um, GDP. Well, I'm sorry. What is that though? What is Eve the Online. Eve Online. The uh, the multi oh multi no, the MMO um, the the MMO game set where you can kind of that at one point was you know was fully globalized where you can kind of like you know. F- um, you know, space space game space and trading game. Oh, I know the game. I think I think I'm I'm pretty certain I know the game. If um you know, rest in peace, vile rat. But if if we want to do economics a little bit, the fact that Iceland had its own currency really helped it to behave in a way that the other countries in the EU couldn't behave because all those other countries are EU countries: Portugal, Greece, Spain, and Ireland are all EU countries. So, um. Uh, but we don't have to get into that. But the but the but I, I just wanted to make the point that that Krugman, who I guess you'd call to a certain degree maybe a heterodox, he's a post Keynesian still. From yeah, he's, I don't. I think he would call himself closely. that. I believe yeah. he still is a self-professed post Keynesian. Yeah, I, I will. I will admit that I. Uh, as recently as five, maybe five years ago, I used to read his blog every day. I read his, what was it, <laughs> Conscience of a Liberal? Yeah, I think I read aughts. that. I read that. Um, you know, that was a good like one evening read um and uh i I followed his blog yeah not quite five years ago a little longer than that but there was a time yeah i followed it until the actual nyt blog started being paywalled and then Mm. and then i stopped which was fairly recent which is weird because not even like the wall street journal does that yeah that's that's pretty fucked up but you know it just shows you that things are going great for the new york times (laughs) (laughs) anyway um but just to say that heterodox uh are these you know like like to go against the neoliberal grain in economics is to some degree heterodox. That's what I was. That's what I was trying to point out. And that Krugman himself had defined Iceland's policies, where they actually like jailed bankers that behaved mm-hmm. irresponsibly, mm-hmm. and which, which I think in America people like lib- liberals would flip, flip, you know, do backflips about, you know, uh, and we won't even, 
you know, our politicians don't even consider doing that, you know? So that's how far we are from that. Yeah. I anyway. Mean, your re-election chances go significantly down if the people who buy your ads are in jail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Funny how that works. Citizens United. But anyway, uh, before we got on this heterodox sidecar, uh, did you get your question answered about it well enough, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so, yeah. Okay. So uh, I have a question, you know, as, as we're kind of getting our bearings. I mean, um, we had the hanger last time about Marxism, the tradition of socialism that comes from Marxism, um, which we've kind of been seeing socialism as the Marxist tradition, despite other traditions out there. But um, this, you know, Marx and Engels in particular was very distinct, like very clear this isn't an ideology, right? This is this is socialism as a science. Um, it's a set, it's so, an analysis. Yeah, so we're doing these things. And, you know, we had talked about or mentioned or hinted at whether or not we kind of wanted to go into that because I think that that's some interesting things as well, especially I think if you're going to – if we want to eventually get to any discussion of like anarchism and nationalism and things and some other sort of isms. But um, what, what are you guys' thoughts on – do you want to go down that rabbit hole or – um, because I, I think there's I think there's interesting discussions to have there. On the one hand, that I think that socialism is indeed an ideology. Um, but I think the development of the ideology of socialism, the discussion and debate can be is that an appropriate reading of the original documents, the original thinkers. But um, I'm certainly interested in that. But sure, I, might as well. I don't, I, I don't I know need, if Jeremy wants to take it that. I, way. No, I'm just pausing because I just realized I need to get a beer. How do you kind of like increment people, increment the people's like personal dial to start clicking toward the left a couple of bits of mm-hmm. like changing perspectives? And it's it's one of those things where, yeah, it's like beliefs change through epiphany, not through like, you know, rational right. argument. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think and this is something I've been struggling with myself the last six to eight weeks. I don't know. When was the Ocasio uh, Cortez primary late June yeah so probably eight weeks you know trying to think about how I would frame things and discuss things and 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 in writing or in verbalizing you know polling comrades or potential comrades left and such um, yeah what they say yeah like the whole point yeah. is you know the whole point is not to dunk on the liberals the whole point is to radicalize them yeah I mean it's like I think there was a period of time that we were like Okay, we want to dunk on the liberals. Well, that's a, yeah. For, for too long, a lot of leftists thought they were Shaquille. You know, like like yeah, like championship L.A. Shaq, where I'm scoring forty points a night and no one can stop me, <laughs> um, and I'm just going to do it and deal with it. You know, um, and I think I think what I will give credit to DSA as an organization for is trying to not do that. Um, yeah, generally speaking, which yep. I think is good, and I have to fight that urge in my in me. Sometimes I get into a discussion, especially if I'm online. Yeah, that's the thing is that the, the, you're, like, yeah, you're, yeah, your filter's gone, right? You're like, oh, uh, Slack. <laughs> Here's a really eager person who just joined last week, who's coming in here and talking about, hey, who wants to go canvas for Peter Courtney with me? And I'm like, get the fuck out! You know, oh, I gotta stop that. I think, you know? I think, um, 
just well, that's a whole. I would say that particular thing. That's a, that's a whole other show. When you want to get into electrolytes <laughs> and things mm-hmm. like, you know, I think we need a right flank, of course. But yeah, you know. I think I think what turns a lot of people off on on left politics is a lot of times it ends up being, hey, read this stack of books, and yeah, and and it's like we need to be better at like encapsulating what that stack of books says. But we, the problem is we can't all agree on what the stack of books is, right? Yeah. Well, even what's always in everyone's stack of books, something like the manifesto, you're like, oh, well, this was written for the working class. Like anyone can pick this up and read it, and you're like, yeah, but it was written in 1848 or whatever, yeah. working class. Um, and Marx and Marx and Engels thought capitalism was going to be out the door before, yeah, yeah. before the end of the of the nineteenth century. Yeah, it's almost, it's almost, yeah, it's like kind of the uh, what was it? We're, we are writing the, we are writing these books um, pretending the return of Jesus because he will. We we all know he will return in our lifetimes. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's you. You got to have some discussions before, like. I mean, think. Uh, let's go a little less serious. Like, hey, dude, check out this band, bro. Like, how often do you really listen to that band? You know what I mean? It, something has to really in- entice me to listen to it other than, oh, if you really want to know what real metal is, bro, <laughs> check these guys out. And you're like, yeah. right. Like, I don't want to get into this holier than thou what metal is argument with you. Um, right. You know, it, um, that's well, I'm mean, not even a metalhead. I don't know why I went to metal. But well, that's the, sorry that's, to all the metal cats out there. It's, it's a, yeah, yeah, long long arguments about death heaven. As, and as, as someone who likes heavy metal, how dare you? Sir? I love the movie uh, Airheads, where I feel like there's a lot of jokes about that in there. Um, but anyway, um, actually, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just but uh, no, but myself. I think part, but part of it, you know, that's well, that's where singles come in. Like, dude, check this out. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, and I say this, you know, as, as an ex college DJ, but um. But uh, oh, God, I'm 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 lost the thing. But it, okay, so let's like well, it'll come back. So let us let us. You, you were using the dial analogy. How do yeah, we turn do, the dial yeah, that's the thing is because it's yeah of um, it's also one of one of the uh, <laughs> no, I'm not going to get into le- electorals because we, we at some point no, you can talk about it. That's it's like a, the whole that's thing. Its own three part about podcast. how about yeah about cause that's the thing is like I mean at this point because of how no nope I'm I'm doing it anyway. Um, <laughs> okay, the, uh, d- sketch out socialism. Yeah, say so let me provide a, the same sort of basic framework that I think we started with on liberalism. Um, so, I think important distinctions between socialism and liberalism ideologically is a socialist looks at the liberal conception of human nature and says um, you only think people are that way because the society that we live in encourages and promotes those sorts of behaviors and that sort of thinking right that that human nature uh whatever it is um is much more uh protean 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 right I'm, I'm protean protean thank you yeah, yeah human nature is a is a set of faculties of potentialities capabilities that that um can be shaped and cultivated in, in different ways and that we only see you know, our brothers and sisters, family, friends, neighbors, and such as rational, self-interested, competitive beings, because those are the things that are encouraged in society, right? That's what, that's how you get ahead. Um, and that it's a total, this is being materialist without saying I'm being materialist, right? That that's just reflective of the, the social conditions through which we live. Um, and, and ultimately I think that the end game is, is somewhat similar because again, Marx is coming out of this enlightenment tradition, but, um, you know, he, you know, a socialist also says that the key focus here isn't the individual. Um, the key focus here is social relations and you are a part uh, and where you are in social relations is you are part of a class. And so the class, the, the group, 
the class becomes the fundamental sort of unit of analysis as opposed to the individual. And so things of like when you look at a problem, so again, uh, uh, ideologies provide, they, um, they, there's four fundamental functions to an ideology, right? Um, evaluation, explanation, orientation, and a political program. And so the socialism says, well, your life is the way it is because of the class you're in, right? And I can explain the world to you based on these class relationships around production, around economics, right? So you evaluate that good or bad of the world based on how you think those relations are working out, right? Um, the political program, of course, is to fundamentally change these relations. Um, and these are these are sort of your, your baseline distinctions that uh, I think we made the joke about the plastic straws the last time, right? The liberal says that if you want to save the environment, it's up to you to take individual action to do things, right? Stop using plastic straws, recycle, compost, do these things, right? And that's great. And like, I, a socialist isn't going to say, no, don't do that. Nothing wrong with it. But to think that individually each of us is slowly going to build something that changes the world is, is, is just fundamentally flawed because you're doing this within a very large, not literally global system. It doesn't, of, yeah, the, the, the uh, it, problems with, you have to remember the scale. Mm -hmm. I think the attachment to that mindset is actually sort of evidence of the despair that lies behind it. Does that make sense? Like the attachment to the notion that, well, if we all did the right thing at the same time, the world would be great. And it's like, well, yeah, I suppose. But like, the point is, is like, we have to like engage with one another to know what the right thing is. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's, I mean, and that's in in wonky Marxist terms or wonky sort of theory and ideology terms. That's that's purely um, idealist, right? That um, you know, it's this, you know, so this is the, the sort of morality and ethics thing, right? A liberal says that you should do these things because they're morally correct and ethically correct, right? And if we all follow the golden rule, Kant, you know, Kant's yeah. categorical imperative is essentially the golden rule. If we all follow this, then the world will be a better place. And and a socialist just kind of giggles at that in some ways, right? Like, oh, that that sounds great. That sounds cute. And that that will help you rest better at night when you're living in your massive home in the suburbs with your two cars out in the front. But it's Subaru and a Prius, so we're doing good. And, you know, we recycle and we do all these things. And it helps. It's much easier to ignore the reality in front of you when you think, oh, well, I'm not that person. I'm not the racist. I'm not this. I'm not that. All of my individual decisions are based on the perfect, you know, I'm a, moral I'm ethical a, calculation. Yeah, you know? I am a good person. Yeah. Um, and that and that's how you get things like a system of healthcare where, you know, what was I reading and watching this week? Um, black women are like 10 times more likely to die of heart attacks than other women because doctors don't listen to them. And then when they complain of chest pains, they get sent home with Tylenol and then they go and die of a heart attack. Right. You know what I mean? Because it's this, in all, in any of the doctors in these cases, like I'm a good doctor. I listened to that patient and it's like, well, did you really listen to her? Because she died of a heart attack six hours after leaving her off. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and, and, and you know, these, these systemic things are in everything, education, healthcare, on down the line, every aspect of life, right? I was thinking about the doctor, right, who says, I'm mm -hmm. a good doctor, I listen to my patients. And, and, I, and I think about, like, the perspective of why didn't the doctor listen to that woman? You know what I mean? And, and, I, and I think that we have a certain perspective on why that doctor didn't listen to that woman. And I think that a liberal would have a different perspective. Like, they might make a critique, like, like as, as such. Well, m medical care 
especially in the United States, is not sufficiently patient-centered. And it's... Um, I, I've, I've actually heard of this, that there's a, that there's a sort of sociological understanding of, 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 of caregiving in the United States from, from doctors, not necessarily from nurses and, 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 and people, uh, uh, let's say, I don't want to say below doctors, but you know what I mean, like, like who don't have the more lofty appellations, that they would be, it would be criticized as a, as a, as a, as a sociological problem that doctors have the empathy sort of driven out of them through the process of finishing medical school. Mm. It takes you 25,000 years to finish your, your course of medical study. But I would think that we would make the critique that no, that person isn't being listened to because our society as a whole tells a story that says that this person isn't worth listening to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that the only reason I bring that up is I, I I'm concerned that the person that we're trying to reach out to wants wants that other kind of critique. The, the I think the less suitable, the non-material mm-hmm. critique, so to speak. Like, uh, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And I think there, I think these conversations start with. I don't want to say less abstract because that's not healthcare is an abstract, but there's there's more direct and sort of salient uh, examples, right? Um, and, I, and I know we talked about it last time, but the basic sort of Framing capitalism as, as a mode of production is the easiest way to do this, I think, to, to just say, like, hey, look, this is how economics works, right? Um, no matter what job kind of job you're in, you're in this part of the equation, and this evi- this is evidence to your exploitation, right? Fundamentally, like, this, you think you have a good job, and you think you're paid well, and you make a good living, which may very well be true, but you're not paid what you're worth because the system doesn't work that way. Now, look at you... Um, you know, middle class standard, and you're being undervalued and underpaid. So, what is the laborer at a grocery store, or on a production line, or in a retail store, or in the service industry? Like, how much more are they being exploited because they don't have what you have? Right. You right. know, I think I think uh, again, it's it's the it's we have to suss out terminology and it's terminology and connotations because the i think uh, too too many times the word ex, uh, exploitation and oppression yeah, are yeah. used as synonyms you can be um you can be extreme you know you, you can be a high status um high status professional you are still exploited mm-hmm. though you are not necessarily oppressed yeah i mean my favorite example of that is is lebron james and, and that he is a name that you don't even have to follow sports. You know who, who you know who the king is. And uh, it was, it's been a few seasons, but I want to say it was like his last season in Miami. But his contract that year was for I don't know twenty four, twenty five million dollars for the year. And it was actually Forbes or someone did this did this story on what athletes would make if they were paid what they create. And and for just just for the Miami Heat, um, just for the owner of that team. Paying LeBron twenty four, twenty five million, he created like eighty million dollars that season himself for just for that owner. That's not counting what he does for Nike or Gatorade right. or whatever his other or things. The NBA. You know? Yeah, the NBA itself is an entity, you know. And that's and that, I think that'd be a good thing that LeBron James right now, I, as far as the athlete LeBron is exploited, but he's maybe not living in. I mean, he came out of oppression. I mean, his Akron background and everything. There's no doubt about it. And, and he's doing his his thing and fighting that, you know. Um, 
But yeah, I think that's a good distinction. I mean, I remember vividly sitting at my father's kitchen table years and years ago having this argument. I think this was like my first young endeavor into Marxism, and I was really stuck on exploitation. He's like, "What? what's exploitation? You know, How am I exploiting you if you willingly came and applied for your job here? And like you understood the wage, and you accepted it. How is that exploitation? And, and, and and I was, you know, it devolved into nothingness and me just, you know, yeah. pissed off with headphones, like, fuck you, dad, like, th- yeah. th- that happens, but... Life before, uh, pro- uh, before Professor professor Wolf YouTubes. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, that's, that, these these, these distinctions are important. And I, I think, you know, another way I think that, that, that we can do these things is, or have these conversations and, and pull them out of, out of the, like, out of the abstract into the concrete. And, and one thing that I think socialists are increasingly emphasizing is that, okay, so I'm talking to a new member to my socialist organization who is a woman. Let's just say, for example, okay, are you a feminist? Do you, do you think that the world is fair and equal for women? I'm probably going to say no, right? Well, that's inherent to capitalism, right? That, that patriarchy, sexism, gender biases, these are inherent in capitalism. And you can talk about all the day-to-day ways that, that is the case for pay, pay discrepancies to rape culture to all these things like all of these things are products of capitalist society right social reproduction replenishment yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you can have these conversations and the things that are day-to-day that affect like any woman you're talking to you're going to find those things that you're not even going to find them she's going to identify them right she's going to give like these conversations are best kind of done through i don't know if you've had these different professional trainings and things but through like a sort of reflective engagement like is your life perfect? No. Why isn't it perfect? Because of X, Y, and Z. Sounds like you're saying X, Y, and Z because you're a woman, right? And like, as she, like, as she would just express, like, her, through her voice, you'd say all these things you're saying are products of capitalism. And here's a socialist response, right? You know? call, call back to um, our uh, episode on organizing. Right. Well, what do you yeah, say? Yeah, that's the sort of trained organizer in my mind. What do you like? Ways, but, yeah. I, I had someone say that to me fairly recently. Say this, like, say, uh, um, and just give me a minute. Say that, like, uh, uh, I was talking about Marxism, and she said that Marxism has nothing to offer to women. And and I and I was thinking, like, well, I mean, like, Rosa Luxemburg would disagree with you, and Engels, <laughs> even Engels wrote about, you know, like, like, like reproduction as as mm-hmm. as. Uh, but but putting that aside for a second like 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 i've heard people make this the statement like this like patriarchy is older than capitalism you know what i mean and i i think that that's true i, I you know yeah. i maybe it's not but i i that seems true to no, me but yeah uh, patriarchy in terms of like rule by fathers yeah no i i tend to think that capitalism is very flexible and it will take on any other system of oppression and like be very useful to it if that makes sense but but what would you say to someone who's reticent to a class-based analysis? Am I taking this too off, too far? Of course. Have we have we have we fully defined? Uh, have we have we fleshed out socialism enough to, to take this? Or we, yeah, maybe we should. Do we, want, do, we want, do we want to cover a bit more of this before and then and table this question? Yeah, we can table for we a can little table bit. The question. I just get excited about yes. things that come to mind. So, <laughs> uh, sorry, phone twenty twenty eighteen. Um. I'm fine going either way. That was the question, right? I'm fine going either way. Well, screw. Yeah, might as well. You, well, you, let's, well, let's integrate it. Let's let's in, let yeah, us yeah. Uh, like answer that question, uh, and in the process, like, kind of like you know, color in yeah. color in the shape some more. If it we gives us some bullet points, yeah. Yes. So, 
restate the question. So the, the question that. is essentially this: like, like for someone who's when when you say, "Well, the reason your life is like this is because of capitalism," mm-hmm. I've I've heard a I've heard I've heard a, a rejoinder or a critique that it's like, no, 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 no. Patriarchy is older than capitalism. Patriarchy is the the sort of let's say the 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 the, the fundamental level of oppression. Capitalism is built on top of that. You know, why should I take capitalism or class seriously when we have this bigger problem yeah. of men oppressing women without capitalism even needing to be a part of that? Yeah, I, I think um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to do this in the way that maybe Jeremy's thinking, but I'm going to I'm going to roll with it. Um, the patriarchy has 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 existed longer than capitalism as as a mode of production has existed patriarchy was in feudalism certainly um roman times yeah you know uh well, but long ago yeah. you know the, the importance i think is to understand that that it's it rests in very capitalist ways though right that you wouldn't i mean what if you go to feudalism what other solution from feudalism would you say is relevant in 2018 um, you're sick. Let's put leeches on your skin. <laughs> you, you're going to scoff at that, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, maybe she's a witch. Well, <laughs> this is Mister. Was this like a Mister. Show sketch? If she's a witch, like you kill her, and if she floats, she's the witch. And if she Monty Python, but yeah, yeah. Oh, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, Point taken. Yeah, yeah, you know. May we you know, burn her? <laughs> uh, you know, it's like uh, <laughs> if she weighs as much as a duck, we'll build a bridge out of it. Yeah, you know, uh, like race, like like the dis- like different races have existed since before capitalism too, right? But but race, race is a concept yep. engages in capitalism as a social construct that is specific yeah. to capitalism, right? Um, so I, I think that would be the way that I would try to start to engage it is like that women face problems in feudalism. Some are the same, particularly like maybe in family issues, you know, but socially it's it's Again, there's some of the same. They're different. I don't, it's weird to have three guys talking about. I know. Yeah, feminism there's, there's, is the, yeah, is the I example. Might, we, but, uh, we, we, we might have to cut this. I just realized the awkwardness of this but, whole uh, conversation. But I, I, think that's, I think that's the general angle that a lot of socialists would take is to say, yes, it, this has existed longer than, but it's particular, it's particular form. Like The socialist is all about historical relevancy, right? Like, right. It's a distinct form of patriarchy currently because of capitalism. Yeah, my, my response is, is essentially that capitalism is such a good weapon in the hands of any power structure that preceded it. Um, a patriarchal one, for example. It's such a good weapon. It is the weapon, and it's so adaptable to... Like, it could flip. Like, any group that's on the bottom now could potentially be at the top of, a, of capitalism. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like like it, it is a, it's such a flexible tool for oppression that it has to be it doesn't have to be the 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 primary focus but it, it can never be removed from the equation and that's 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 the best answer i've been able to come up with but you know i i'm just trying to see if anyone else has other thoughts on it uh, i mean and this this sort of line of question goes into intersectionality too though right that um, which makes it even more convoluted in some ways in basic discussion is that, well, like even gender can't be separated from race and race can't be separated from gender and gender can't be separated right. from class. And, you know, um, because, as you were saying, I think capitalism is the most efficient form of exploitation we've seen. 
Right. Right. You know, it's the most like, adaptable. That's what, an, that's, yeah, the, that's the point I'm trying to get. It's yeah. an improvement upon and like a further stage, a progressive development of exploitation that feudalism saw. It's more efficient, more all encompassing, more powerful, more adaptable, more amenable. You know, um, yeah, and, and that and yeah, I think that's what you're kinda getting well, at. Well that's right? the, the point I'm trying to make is that I could I could foresee capitalism being adaptable enough that someone who's literally sort of at the bottom of the totem pole right now could be moved to the top uh through a sort of unconscious process uh because it would it it, it would give that person the opportunity to be at the top of the of the pecking order you know what i mean and and as such perpetuate capital that much longer you know what i mean like like there's a strong there's a strong critique of capitalism in which in, in which like like the 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 new deal era programs that we came up with were ways of not that we call them socialist but they were actually ways of keeping capitalism going longer mm-hmm. well they yeah. they called them socialist that was the in fact that was the thing that like i think michael tomiski uh, posted a thing in like the New York Times today that like people were talking about how everything that was left, everything that was like left of, you know, uh, laissez-faire, you know, Euro-style, you know, economic stuff was derided as socialist for eighty odd years. I think what's interesting that we haven't gotten into, um, and maybe we could sort of reiterate some bullet points of, of distinctions, I think, which you're just getting at. But okay, yeah, that, um, that, that, that should help. I'm <laughs> trying to go back in my mind. I think, like, how you know, like, I don't have like my lecture notes from previously teaching this online. I'm just but, trying to come at this but, in good uh, faith. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, so like, so an ideology will will. So if you ask a question like, why are there wars? A liberal is going to have a distinctly different explanation of that than a socialist is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a liberal is going to say the United States invaded Iraq in 2000 and however long ago that was because democracy, right? You know, because freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, these very sort of idealist terms and things. And the socialist is going to sound more like Lenin and say America invades Iraq because imperialism, because capitalism, right? Um, right. You know, um, or even, or even before, or even a better, I think a better example of liberal interventionism, um, Somalia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, and I think you can kind of run through the gamut of, of examples. Um, why is there poverty? Um, the liberal is going to say there's poverty because individuals make bad decisions, right? And the socialist is going to say there's poverty because capitalism inherently requires poverty. Um, and those are two distinct, distinctly different answers that inevitably are going to lead to a discussion, right? Mutually um, exclusive. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so I, I think that when you, you got to have to kind of remind yourself when you're, cause you're dealing with these ideologies. That's why these, these sort of, um, f- bullet point sort of framework things are, uh, that's why I like the, 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 the human nature obstacle freedom thing is, is useful in that, um, that, you know, well, 
we want individual freedom, you know, means and ends, et cetera, et cetera, so forth. The socialist wants to see class liberation because an individual is only liberated through class liberation, right? So here's different means and ends. Um, Referring back to the to the model set up by the textbook we referred to in our earlier conversation. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and that's and then and the same goes. You know, you can think of it in the triadic agent, agent goal, obstacles. You know, in between or in the four fundamental. Uh, aspects of ideology. Aspects of ideology, right? But it, you know, you can kind of run through these questions. You know, war, poverty, um, sexism, homophobia, and, and you start to see where the difference, the different explanations are. And I, I think that I think that is how a lot of our conversations start, right? Because you're not going to sit down with someone. You're not going to meet someone at like a DSA general meeting and be like, oh, hey, you want to grab a beer after and chat? And you're not going to sit down and go, so how do you define socialism? Or maybe you would, I mean, but that's not going to be very fruitful, right? <laughs> yeah, it depends you're, on how sober you yeah, are. Yeah, so like there's going to be – the conversation is going to – you're going to be rapping about, you know, we kind of mentioned this off mic, but, you know, the, the protests this last weekend, right? The Proud Boys and Patriot Pair or whatever the fucking rednecks call themselves – that whole event, right? You're going to be talking about that, and you're going to think like, "Oh, why does like fucking racism? This is so ridiculous, so silly. Why are we still dealing with racists in 2018?" And that conversation is going to evolve in ways that you're going to start to say, "Well, is racism this or is racism that? Racism is systemic, like it's inherent in capitalism. So, you know, white alienated, exploited individuals will, you know, it's easier to." You know, it's easier to point fingers as the enemy of the other than to say that oh, something bigger is at stake here. Right? right. You know, it, um, yeah, it, it it provides answers. It fills in the blank. You well, know, and especially when the pre-existing system before it started to go south, like benefited you, even though you did nothing to yeah, deserve that yeah. benefit. You know, like you're you're gonna want to go for the easier answer because you were already had the kind of carpet rolled out for you for the easier answer anyway. Yeah. And, and this, I mean, this is kind of, we get to the ideology versus ideology, what we mean by ideology, but you know, um, that's why they, like conspiracy, like conspiracy theories are, uh, not exclusive to Americans, but de- definitely unique and more prominent in our culture. Right. Um, well, it's, it's easier for me to say that my life sucks because of the Illuminati, than it is to do even three seconds of like serious analysis of economic systems, whatever. It's like you know, I have, I you know, I've always told students that's the biggest thing I've gotten where I've where I've taught and such is, are oh, we going to talk about the Illuminati in this class? I'm like, no. Well, why not? Well, because the Illuminati was an organization in like the 1600s that was shut down by like the Prussian government or whatever pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, right? It was a drinking system. You know, um, like you know, I, capitalists aren't. They don't need secret plans. <laughs> yeah, like right. that's, it's 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 the, much more banal. The billboard yeah. is their plan. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, yeah, that's the yeah. It, they're not hiding it from us. Um, yeah, that's that's the thing. That, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to do. Christ, we could get an entire series out of like talking about con- the functions and the benefits and the examples of conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. Of yeah. That's, We're probably due for like another, you know, conspiracy theory episode. We've been pretty, you know, left theory heavy for a while. Those, those are always the conspiracy stuff's fun. It um, is fun, but that's you know where, where um, you know Marx, Marx, Engels, and that socialist tradition gets into. We're not doing ideology. Like I'm not trying to explain the world to you in a way that I'm not giving you a narrative or telling you a story, right? I'm not. I'm not trying to connect to you in that way. I'm laying out the world as it is in black and white, 
this is how things work. So I don't need to mess with all that other stuff, right? Like Give, I don't giving an analytical tool. Yeah, you know, um, it's a, a a descriptive theory, right? You, you, and, yeah, and I guess prescriptive in in certain ways as well. So. Yeah, yeah, well, the programmatic aspect came around later on, but yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, the, the the there was no Marx himself didn't fully develop a political plan, right? Right. It was, um, and it, it's really implicitly democracy, right? That yeah. the people will figure it out. Um, there's there is a what critics would say probably is a sort of naive faith in the average human being to do it right. You know um, that you break the shackles, you break the chains of of the the oppression of this mode of production, and then the people do what they want. And the people figure it out, right? right. So but that's think- why the dictatorship of the proletariat is this necessary phase in this to establish socialism and a new hegemony. But as the people then be, become more practiced and more there's through repetition of actually being able to democratically make decisions and have input. Then it slowly starts to work itself out to where there are these. There's no more distinctions in class and in education and information and all of these things and equality. Then ble- breeds itself to communism, which is the end of the state. This is no longer necessary, and people are cooperating and coexisting communally in different ways. Right. Um, Right, the uh, a, a euphemism that uh, people in Pat, God, I can't remember who did it, um, I can't, who did it in particular, but a euphemism used in previous times was industrial democracy. Yeah, yeah, I'm, and I'm also spacing on who did that, but I mean that's why someone like Richard Wolff, who's an easy, like right now kind of contemporary example, that's why he speaks about co-op so much. This is a very realistic like these exist and this is a really easy way to explain to someone what socialism looks like at a very basic level or at least the beginning of it yeah yeah you know um and 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 now that i'm saying that socialism is a process to communism to statelessness is interesting because um olivia you know our our chapter co-chair is her no yeah she's co-chair you know had that that viral tweet that even fucking Tucker was talking about on Fox News, you know, as a socialist, I want to say communism is good. And Okay, so democratic socialism is the future, but what is democratic socialism? We thought it'd be worth pausing for a minute to find out. There's no formal platform, but the outlines are pretty clear. Democratic socialists support socialism, state ownership of major industries. That would include healthcare, technology, manufacturing. Some of them explicitly support communism. The co-chair of Portland, Oregon's chapter of the DSA recently tweeted this, quote, as a DSA chapter co-chair, I just want to set the record straight for a minute. Communism is good. And that's another discussion that's interesting with people new to socialists. Like, well, whoa, 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 hey, <laughs> I'm not, you know, yeah, that tax the rich is cool, but I'm not a fucking communist. Right. It's like, oh, wait, 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 we don't mean Stalin. You know what I mean? Well, and I think that that's a real, that's a real problem. Like, so, so when, you know, and I think this is a lot of the, like, people with the, uh, uh, I don't know if this is still a thing, actually, but donuts and their names on Twitter. Oh, it's fucking, it's still there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> donuts. The, don, donuts and donuts. Well, most of the donut, uh, most of the donut emojis have transferred into being uh, um, uh, uh, tidal wave emojis. Oh, okay. I'm not hip to these at all. I had no, to, d- a couple no, of years ago. I had to Google why do so many people have roses and your Yeah, no, yeah. Consider yourself okay. fortunate. Yeah. This is yeah. This is extremely yeah. online shit. Yeah. I, I think that there's so there's this there's this really anti-socialist backlash even on the you know the liberal left and and uh, you know a lot of the. You know, a lot of the criticisms they're making, going back to what you were just talking about, are basically criticisms of Stalinism. 
Yeah. And how do you satisfy these people that like you understand Solonism well enough to go, well, that's not what I'm about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like that's a, I mean, that's that's a question we need to ask. We need to ask guys like Derek Varn. I don't know um, if that's even like, how they're how, even because like they, you know, folks who have been in this for decades, um, previous guests of the show, Derek Varn and yeah. other people like Zero Books and whatnot. Um, I, you know, who fucking knows? Yeah, I, I don't know that I have. I mean, we've seen we've seen you know, like you said, someone questioning Olivia's tweet. You know, then you know, Boots Riley was on Democracy Now, and and Amy's like, as a longtime activist, and he's like, communist. Like, let's just fucking say it. I'm a communist. It'd be very interesting for you as a well-known anti-capitalist artist and organizer. Communist. Now- communist Marxist. Yeah, right. and he was saying that um, shit back in like politically incorrect. Yeah, yeah. Look, and you know, 18, sixteen years ago, absolutely. Then there was the the English gal on um, Pierce Morgan or whatever. Yeah, yeah. she's like Ash. I'm Ash. literally a communist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like what the uh, fuck are you talking about? And he's you know? like, your man Obama, and he's yeah. like, she's like, I don't give a shit about Obama. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I'm Ash, literally Ash. a communist. You know? <laughs> yeah. What you do is no be relentlessly anti-Trump and relentlessly pro somebody like Obama. I'm not I'm pro Obama. I've been a critic of Obama. I'm a critic of the Democratic Party because I'm literally a communist. <laughs> I'm literally a communist. Like, Ash Sarkar uh, from uh, Novara Media. There you go. Yeah, you know, um, you know, and so the it's. I, I think on the one hand that brashness and that forwardness is probably good and important, um, but it, like all, I guess it's like tact, right? There's always a place and time for it. Uh, you know, uh, a, a new member at at their first. Um, General. DSA general meeting, you probably shouldn't go to the pub right after and be like, so you ready for the fucking revolution? Yeah. yeah you know, don't, don't, um, yeah, you don't want to. Because they get in their minds like this violent revolution that like, you know, and this, this is, the, I think, the, something we need, like those of us that have been self-professed left for a while, this is still an ongoing discussion, right? But revolution, like, you know, when I say I'm a revolutionary, um, people automatically hear that and think that like I have guns in my closet or yeah, something you know, and i'm really ready to like murder civil servant you know and it's like yeah. no that's not yeah you're, you that you yeah. have you have the 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 uh, the che flag on your dormant wall yeah you know um i, I never had a che t-shirt i love che i've read his work but um I, even if things went that way and i'm like ideologically i agree with these guys i'm not pulling any triggers like i'm just gonna be honest like i'm not that guy you know what i mean um so you know to to say you're revolutionary, and that's a whole other discussion that needs to be had. Like, what do we mean by revolution? But right. revolutionary to me is just to say that I'm looking forward to a drastic, a systemic overhaul of, yeah. of something distinctly different and distinctly new, i.e., distinctly revolutionary. Right? Yeah, they're, they're sort of fundamental uh-huh. axioms of the way society functions now, yeah, and yeah. you are critical of those fundamental yeah. axioms, and you want them to change. Like, you know, Michael Hart, I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Did you guys ever, have you seen the documentary? I don't think I brought this up last time. I don't think I'm using it. Uh, the documentary Examine Life? Um, no. It's, it's Ex- Examine or Examined? Examined Life. It's, uh, I forget the director's name, but she's she's done a couple documents, but this is one where she's just so talking to philosophers. Vaguely familiar. Oh, she's uh, the one who that, did the Zizek uh, Yeah, I think she did the Zizek uh, one. Is, that, is this the one where, like, she, it's important, they interviewed, uh, they interviewed uh, Cordell West. Cornell West. In the back, in the back of a uh, taxi in the cab. taxi, yeah. Okay, no, yeah, um, I, I've shared that, I've shared that clip of him okay, just, like, yeah. just rapping about. So, yeah. in that same documentary, Michael Hart is on a boat in Central Park rowing and talking to the director about revolution. 
for my generation in the mid 80s, when I was in my 20s, just starting to do politics in a serious way, it seemed like the only way to, to the only outlet for revolutionary desire was to go to Central America and to somehow participate in, or at least observe, their revolutions. I mean, so a lot of people went to Nicaragua. I, with my friends, was mostly interested in El Salvador. But the, um, the thing I realized at a certain point was that all we could do was really observe what their revolutions were. You know, and he's like, you know, I'm of the age where when I was in graduate school, a lot of us went to Central and South America and we we're down there like trying to get in with the revolutionaries. And he says, you know, I remember sitting around one night with these revolutionary leaders and they're like, hey, we really appreciate all of our North American comrades coming down here to support us. But and the defining moment for me came in a meeting in El Salvador with the group of uh, students at the University of El Salvador. And at a certain point, a friend there said, look, we're really grateful for these North American comrades who come to help us, but it would be really, what would be really best for us is if you all would go home and make revolution in the U.S. That would really be better than trying to come help us here. And it was true, of course, I don't think any of these North Americans were particularly helpful in Nicaragua and El Salvador, etc. If you really want to help our efforts here, you need to go home and make revolution in the right. United States. And Michael Hart says, You know, Reagan's in the White House. I have no idea what it would mean to make revolution in the U.S. I just don't have any idea. And he said, look, don't you have mountains in the U.S.? And I said, yeah, we have mountains. He says, it's easy. You go to the mountains, you start an armed cell, you make revolution. I, I, I don't even know what that means. You know, I, I'm, I'm a graduate student. Reagan's the president. What does that mean? And he says, you know, the guy, the, the same comrade explains to him, well, you've got mountains, right? Yeah. You have guns, right? Yeah. You get the fucking guns, you go to the mountains, and you train. You know, and, and Michael Hart's <laughs> like, that doesn't register to anyone yeah. in the United States when Reagan's president. So for me, as as an intellectual and as an activist and things, like I had to start to rethink what revolution meant. Right. And Plus, I think that's what most of us probably mean when we say... When we, I mean, there's definitely the guy that's at the bar on Saturday night. It's like, oh, I'm going to fucking kill the pigs. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> right. Sure you are, dude. Like, yeah. And that's like, when we laugh at like the militant, you know, rednecks. And he's like, we're going to build our compound in Idaho and fight the fucking American government. Like, yeah. no, other countries aren't beating our fucking military. Like a bunch of us, like beer bellied, you know, former <laughs> grad students aren't going to fucking defeat the yeah, military. Yeah, right, that's the know? thing. Well, yeah. I mean, and again, previous guest C. Derek Varn brings up like they have nukes. Like yeah. at some point they have, and it's and with and the, that fact alone precludes any and all, um, like you know, armed takeover. I, the conservatives are very happy getting rid of Austin and Portland very quickly. What I'm talking about, you know, it's, like um, who gives a shit, right? All yeah, the hippies are gone. It's uh, well, two things. One is it is it's telling that in the 1975, um, vaguely utopian science fiction flick. Ecotopia, uh, set in the flick. I only know the book. No, 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 no. The, no it's a book. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. But it's set in. Uh, I think it's set in San Francisco. But like the 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 um, it effectively talks about uh, the, uh, the the Pac Northwest breaking mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. The only way they are able to do that and not get immediately invaded is by stealing. Uh, nuclear material from the Umatilla Flats and mm-hmm. hiding it in major American cities just to prevent them from a massive invasion. Cool. Like so that, do we need to do that? Uh, that's I, yeah, that's dude. Probably, we need yeah. to get guns. We need to go to the mountain. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean hide our uranium. No, but I but I say but I think the but the other thing is that it's more of we need a um 
we need a massive overhaul of all vocabulary and jargon because yeah. too much of it is stuck either in mid 19th century, uh, uh, you know, continental stuff or, you know, 1968 framings or even like mid 80s. And like, no, that's that's or even like, I mean, like or even like like uh, like mid aughts framings. Like, no, that's all that's all gone. Everything, you know, it's pre there there's a lot of stuff like pre 2016 that's like you have to you have to you you either have to completely shed or you have to completely you have to upgrade and evolve yeah i I don't think anyone well i shouldn't say that most of us wouldn't confidently sit anywhere and say oh here's the plan for revolution right um i I wouldn't confidently sit anywhere yeah yeah you know i mean i know what the plan i'm sure there's some that would try it but the rest of us would go yeah that sounds cool but i don't know yeah um you know i i think something more like a more radical i don't want to say more radical to 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 not give credit to it but like the civil rights movement is on a you know is more you know in tune with i think what revolution look like or like v for vendetta since we're using like kind of pop culture references right like mass amounts of people marching and taking the streets and being like we're fucking fed up with this i don't think the revolution is going to be a violent civil war like revolution there's going to be violence i'm sure at some levels right um and there'll be violence without but, it yeah but you know um i don't think a, a socialist revolution in the united states is one such that people are taking up arms and fighting the government you know um it's it's going to look distinctly different than that yeah. um but you know that's that's you know, that's a whole other i mean i guess that's not that is relative like socialists are quote unquote revolutionaries but um Right. That's the tail end of it. I, I think a lot of soldiers are like, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Like, first, let's organize working class people into a social movement. Yeah. To where we can just, you know, you know, flash mob something like, hey, Twitter, boom, boom, boom. You know, working class people will unite, you know, City Hall, Thursday afternoon. And then, like, thousands show up like, oh, that's a worker. That's a working class movement that we've got here. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Or just to get to people to see that. They're on the same level to a certain degree. Like, there's this rent strike in Portland going mm-hmm. on right now. And mm-hmm. it's like, I, I've posted and shared about it on social media. And I feel like, I, I feel like I'm not quite getting through, like, to, to get people to see, like, you're on the same side as yeah, people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and I think that, yeah, that, that sort of thing. It's just like, can we get, you know, like, I'm even trying to convince my housemate who is a chiropractor that works for, like, this corporate thing and it's like dude you're like a worker like anybody else yeah. like like they're using you yeah like you are using you, anybody else you are an you are an employee yeah so and it, even you know like the petite bourgeoisie of like the guy that opens the bar in southeast portland is like you probably got that bar open on a bunch of borrowed money mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah. you're you're not you're not quite the same as the worker in the proletariat, but like you're not on their side yet, dude. Like you're with us, you know. What I mean? Yeah, if you right. own a barbershop, you own a few chairs and a, yeah, and a building. Yeah. It's not like you're. you're it's not like you're, you don't probably own the building. You're renting. Do you, you really know? own the yeah. means of production? Yeah, no, you're I, renting I that spot you next yeah. to Peach's Smicha. Let's be honest, right? You know the Chinese place that was there before you failed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, all right, let us let let us begin to wrap up on um, this widely digressive and expansive conversation. Once again, no idea how I'm going to edit this together, but that's never stopped me before. Uh, do you all have anything you can recommend or endorse that you think everyone else should check out? Uh, please go right ahead. This is the these are things that you are been uh, you know things that you've been uh, records, films, anything you've been you know video games, whatever. Um, 
brands of video guitar. Yeah. I remember video games. <laughs> uh, that you that you've been digging on. You really you really think everyone else should check out. Please uh, please share with others. Um, I don't have a ton. I I uh, have started reading something that I I kind of half endorsed last time I was on called How Will Capitalism End by Wolfgang Streak, mm-hmm. um, who has. That's a Verso release, right? It is a yeah. Verso release, and uh, it is a pessimistic. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm kind of a pessimistic person, so it just suits my personality a little bit. Um, but I, I do think that what he describes, which is like sort of the breakdown of the system of social relations, uh, like capitalism's already dying is his is basically the part of his thesis, like and dying in a big way. Yeah, and uh, and. And and what we're living through and will continue to live through is the breakdown of the social relations of capitalism. So while while we try to make new or figure out more authentic social relations, um, I'm enjoying that though. I'm 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 not that far into it. Um, uh, uh, Assad Hader's new book, uh, Mistaken Identity. Me and my my special lady are reading that one and 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 enjoying that. That's really good. Yeah. Pre- yeah, previously recommended on an episode. I think that 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 one addresses in a in a really great way, like uh, a problem between le- you know sort of left v liberal interrelations, which is what how does identity factor in it? It obviously it does, but how does it? I think that book uh, is a great way to get started on that question mm-hmm. and and change minds. So I guess I would just say that like like. Uh, Music, movies, and you know all the, you know I don't have anything new on that on that tip. I watched The Night of the Hunter the other night for the first time, and that was a great, creepy ass movie. But the only the only film Charles Lawton never directed. That's right. So yeah, I um I'm not reading anything contemporary or right now. I don't think uh, as far as like things that have just come out. Um, that doesn't matter at all. Yeah, yeah. Does not I say like so. I just got through, or I'm about to get through, hopefully tonight. Um, David McClellan did this really short, like hundred page biography of Karl Marx that I had never read that had been sitting on my shelf forever and ever and ever, and I just read it. So I think that's a really. I would encourage people who are a little more interested in Marx to read that. I know the PDF has, has been ripped online, so you can just Google Karl Marx, David McClellan, M C. L E L L A N I believe um, PDF and you'll find it um, about a hundred pages really good read um, and I've also been in, in a lot of this conversation things we're talking about what do we do as socialists today or, you know how do we how do we sort of bottle up all this energy and excitement and what do we do with it so I've um, a good friend of mine a good comrade Cody Melcher uh, tipped me off to um, an old journal from the late sixties and seventies called Radical America. That is actually, I think, all but, like, if not every issue, damn near every issue has been digitized. It's actually online through, like, Brown University Library has them. Hmm. Um, this was started by SDS, so it's written by activists and scholars and things. Um, the the founders of it were some SDS people. Um, but it's really, I've found it really informative to look at how radicals were thinking in that time, being the last really big moment of, of radical thinking and, and seeing what lessons are there. Um, one of the first couple issues is all about Lenin and the importance of theory. Um, and that was the one that my, my friend sent to me and I read that and I was like, oh, I'm hooked. So now I'm slowly trying to read article by article that I can on all these. So that's really great. Um, so that's what I'm chewing on um, reading wise right now. Um, my wife and I just recently finally watched Westworld. So that's kind of my pop culture thing right now. Um, I was... 
in my mind, I had to keep shutting off using that show as an example in this conversation because my two colleagues next to me have not watched Westworld. But Westworld's dope if you haven't watched it. Um, I've seen the uh, film. Tweet at me which way is left. Um, give me your Westworld thoughts. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's kind of my pop culture thing I'm doing right now. Musically, I'm kind of uh, – I'm a hip-hop head and a jazz head, so I've been listening to a lot of, like, just Coltrane and um, – classic sort of jazz stuff the last month or so but um but yeah definitely check out radical america and if you're like me and you relate to westworld my wife and i loved it you should check it out westworld's fun it's dope awesome i got two recommendations one is a one is a band they're called the beths b-e-t-h-s they are a kind of very sunny mm, poppy much more kind of like a like, a, like an indie rock or uh, indie rock, punky uh, band that, out of New Zealand does a, a very sunny women vocals, uh, like just gr- really great pop songs. They have a new album coming out called Future Me Hates Me that they are leaking. Uh, well, they're putting out uh, single by single on uh, all the various streaming networks that I really recommend checking out. It's once again, it's a band called the Beths and their album is called Future Me Hates Me. It should be out. Some, uh, the whole album should be out in the middle of August. It is uh, a lot of fun and I'll play a sample of it right now. The other recommendation I can give is, if you haven't yet, by the time you hear this, go see Sorry to Bother You, Boots Riley's film. It is um, awesome. It is, if you were a fan of Repo Man, go see it. It's, in fact, yeah, and it's also one of those films where if, by the time you're hearing this, if you haven't yet see it, seen it, don't read. The, the less you know about the, you know, the less you know about the film, the better. Go into it as blind as possible if that's you know, possible by this point and That's just go see it. It's screening in several locations in Portland mm-hmm. and uh, elsewhere, at least in America. Um, they just announced that it probably won't get international distribution, which is some bullshit. Um, yeah. See the film. That's all I got to say. I have somehow avoided reading a single word about it for that very reason. So. I saw it and I was very surprised uh, yeah. by some aspects of that movie. Yep. It goes uh, places, and, it's, and the fact, like I said, it's a film. The less you know about it, the better it is. Yeah, I only know two of the actors in it: the lead guy and Tessa Thompson. That's all I know, and I know Boots Riley's behind it, and that's all I know. So I'm, and I'm, I don't I'm think it'd be it, a yeah. spoiler to say that they, there's a treatment in the film of like one of the characters gets a certain truth about the world and then releases it to the media and then that is not mm-hmm. as important as it seems like it should be it, it was really funny it, it dealt with it in a very realistic way i think yeah it is um yeah it is like i said go see it it's 
um, it's it's still out there. Hopefully, it'll be um, it'll still be you know by the time you hear this for a few weeks at least for the rest of the summer, you'll be able to catch it in some form. Um, but yeah, it's this is one that's going to stick around for a while. Um, all right, uh, and that pretty much wraps things up for this these episodes. Uh, gentlemen, do you have? Um, any uh, would you, anything you particularly have to plug or uh, ways that folks can get a hold of you online that you'd like to give? Um, I'm not even going to give out my Twitter anymore. I, I just don't do anything on it. Uh, I sing country music in a band called Late Shift. Uh, you can listen to a live recording we did at a place called the Rosebud Cafe in Scapoose, Oregon. Does that sound authentic? It is. All right. <laughs> all uh, in Scapoose. Wow. And you can find us at Late Late Shift country.bandcamp.com it's free of charge so go check it out yeah i'm not the, the artistic type i'm on twitter i mess with it a little bit um you can at me which way is left i'll be on there from time to time but uh other than that i'm just a pretty low-key dad doing my thing so yeah. awesome and as always you can uh f- please follow the show at we're at facebook.com slash giving the mic. Uh, the show URL, as usual, is soundcloud.com slash giving the mic. We are on Twitter at giving the mic. Um, we even have our own Patreon now. So if you would like to help support us making the show, if this has been entertaining now, you can help support us for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, you can find the link to that. Go to patreon.com slash giving the mic. And uh, Ellen, if you have any way, if you have anything, you know, thoughts or things we should check out, or even if you have any, um, you're listening, you have any, have any topics you'd like us to cover in the future, you can email us at givingthemic at gmail dot com. All right, I think that is pretty much. Oh, and the thanks to the mysterious breakfast breakfaster cereal for our theme tune, as always. All right, uh, final words from everybody. Go with God, me hearties. Live long and prosper. Good enough. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. And we're out. Oh, Thanks, boy. dudes. Yeah. Not a mess at all, Jeremy. You'll sort it out. Yeah, I'll figure something out. We got That was about uh, 100 minutes. That's uh, the easiest editing job you'll ever do. <laughs>